This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DeCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com. Joined this week by a, a mostly full house and uh, some familiar names. Got Kyle Gauss with us, Caden Steele, Sam Cohen just just can't stay away. I did invite him. He's with the Philadelphia Inquirer now, also the Penn State beat writer. But you know, still in, still in tune with Temple. I was about to and, say I wasn't I was not made aware that Sam was coming back. I knew Dante would be here. And Dante Colinelli oh. joining us on the scoop this week. I came uh, because of Dante. Let the record show. I only came to listen to Dante talk. Dante is now working full-time with the 33rd team. He's been watching some, some Temple film that seemed to excite Kyle on Twitter. I just like night. the fact that Dante was coming back. That's yeah. why I was excited. Everyone's just so excited to see me. Dante, Sam, so, Sam's here. Kyle's excited. So like, you know how like when you graduate high school, I think like a couple months later, there was like that one student that would like come in and pop back in. They're like, ah, let me see my favorite teacher. That's Sam. He always <laughs> he's lingered, right? You're like, you're like, oh, Sam's very involved, if not more involved in the group chat than he was before. Dante keeps us arms length. So it's a treat when Dante decides to, to do it. Creates some it creates some intrigue, leaves people wanting more. Yeah. So I, know, I mean, look, I like I'm, I'm I'm glad to see Sam. I'm happy to see Sam. I interact with Sam a lot more than I interact with Dante, so it's less of a treat. Dante, tell us, tell us uh, what's going on in life. Tell us about the new gig and the new job and what it's like. Um, yeah, it's incredibly interesting. Uh, I am co-workers with like people who have a combined 50 Super Bowl wins and a lot of Hall of Fame gold jackets and all that jazz. It's very weird going to work, you know, air quotes work. Cause I work in my office in my house. Uh, but you know, like showing up just being like, Hey, like we have something coming in from, you know, um, I don't even know, like Bill Parcells, like I edited Bill Parcells story the other day, right? Like that stuff's just really cool. So, um, that is mostly my job. I'm an editor. You will never see my byline, uh, on the site, which honestly I'm okay with because, the other great advantage of uh, working there is that we send our newsletter to NFL teams and they actually open it and read it. So um, I don't know if I could like fathom Bill Belichick reading my words, uh, and, you know, at 5 a.m. when he's preparing for practice or whatever, which is pretty crazy. So it's a cool gig. I really like it. We have changed business models already since I've been there. So that's been interesting as well. It's the very uh, rapidly changing environment. You know, you hear that buzzword a lot when you're applying for jobs. They were absolutely correct about that when I applied for this job, but it's really cool. Um, I'm really just trying to soak it up and enjoy it. It is not what I thought I'd be doing when I graduated with a journalism degree, if I'm being honest, but it is, it's cool. It's, it's very engaging in its own way. You're still editing though. I have a question. Yeah. Go ahead. What will the company do when the NFL expands and there already is a 33rd team? You know, That's we a great question. <laughs> maybe we are going to be the 33rd team, Kyle. Maybe that is the expansion. Maybe that's our end, really. That's how I get to the NFL. That's where I always wanted to be. This is my long game. Door. Yes. A long game. To get you water there. the plant. You grow the plant. I'm, you know, I will ask that at my uh, 7 a.m. content meeting in the morning, and I'll, I'll see what uh, see what the execs have to say about it. Please do. Oh. Please let me know what Bill Parcells <laughs> thinks about my theory. <laughs> Famous other famous number nines other than Roy Hobbs from the natural. One Ron is very, Rondo. One is very prevalent right now. Nick Falls. 
his uh, record's about to get beat. Ted Williams, Roger Maris. Roger Maris. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Steve McNair, the late Steve Grace McNair. McNair. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quincy Roche, Matt Ioannidis. Um, Justin Tucker, the greatest of all time. Gilbert Arenas, that one year they pulled a gun on his teammate. I think yeah. he was number nine. <laughs> yep. Michael Dogby. Michael Dogby. Uh, Drew Brees. Do we say Drew Brees? We didn't, but we just did now. There we go. That's about it. It's all the famous number nines. Rodney Matt Barnes with the Lakers. The Rodney first, Pete from who was the Eagles. first uh, single digit number nine? Was that Levi? Uh, oh, Andre Nebla. Andre Nebla was before. Andre right? Nebla was number nine. Yeah. 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 Look at that. The Beatles, number nine. No. Is that uh, ran that, on TikTok this morning, a random video of them, uh, the Beatles creating the first time they wrote the lyrics to Get Back. Show mm-hmm. up on my timeline. That was interesting. Yeah. Love potion number nine. Kyle, I was on TikTok today. I was thinking about you. I said, I wonder if Kyle's on Do you think we have similar algorithms? (laughs) (laughs) Only food. Like, I will sit there for salt. It's just food, 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 food. Mine goes from food. I'm on a lot of dad talk. It shows me a lot of, like, plumbing stuff, raising your kids stuff. Uh, I don't follow anybody on TikTok, so (laughs) (laughs) unlikely. (laughs) Friday's also National Podcast Day, so hopefully all of you will celebrate by listening to this. By Venmo and Kyle. Uh, we do have some some actual practical stuff to, to get into. Not that I haven't enjoyed the, the banter with you guys. Uh, we'll be wrapping up Temple's 28-0 win over UMass and uh, closing out conversation on that, talking about Temple's upcoming game against Memphis and uh, answering some mailbag questions here. Um, let's uh, let's let's talk about this, this 28-0 win over UMass. It was a little bit of everything. EJ Warner was overcoming his first substantial dose of adversity with the two early uh, interceptions. They got their first defensive takeaway of the season. Alex Odom's interception was the first one. And then, of course, Leighton Jordan had that that one-handed interception return for a touchdown. It was the team's uh, first shutout win since 2016. Another combination, yet another combination for the offensive line. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit more of a defined role for Quincy Patterson. Uh, Dave Martin Robinson returned a tight end. Uh, Dwan Mathis saw some snaps at wide receiver. Uh, not much going there. Dante, I'll, I'll kick off with you here. You know, you, you say you've been watching some uh, some Temple film, which is just like the stuff you've been watching with the NFL. Not much of a drop off. But uh, what what have you seen so far? Well, it's it's funny you introed me like that, because when I when I got the job, I like really stopped. Watch, like I have not watched a lot of college football this year. Like I really haven't. Like Saturday is one of my few days where I'm like, I'm going to purge football. So like, as far as me, like all I've done is watch NFL film for the past few months. So I sat down to watch Temple last night and let me tell you, man, they're bad. But to be more specific, like UMass 28 to nothing, I feel like it should have been like 42 to nothing, like honestly. And like, I don't know if that's just me being overly critical because all I've seen is NFL stuff recently, but I don't know. I I really don't think they played that well. I, I feel like they let UMass hang around a little bit some bad turnovers, different things. Uh, I'll be honest. Like I started watching the Duke game, which I did watch. That was like the last college football game that I watched all the way through uh, when it aired. And then I, I went right to UMass after Duke. I was like, all right, I'm going to watch game one. And then we're going to go to game four and I'm going to see improvement. And like, I don't know, not really like UMass is such a bad team. They're a little bit better, but like, well, they scored they, points, Dante. So that's an improvement. Yeah, but you only scored 28 on UMass. Like that's like that. Like they're a little bit better, right? On the score sheet, right? Because it's just like, oh, they scored 28 points, but like, I don't know. 
they they have a long way to go. Like this is about how I expected them to look, though. Frankly, like mm-hmm. this was not surprising to me. Like I didn't sit down and I was like, I think this, they're going to be way better than what I hope. But mm-hmm. they they are exactly what I was expecting. They're a young team. I think they have some good pieces. We can talk about that later. Like I like some of the pieces. Are but... they better than the four years of football that you watched while you were at Temple? Mm, not my first year. Right, Sam. Our first year, they were eight and five. That was, was the that Independence Bowl was, year. Yeah, twenty eight. Yeah, when they lost to Duke, and then our second year, they weren't they, bad. They, they weren't six. That was the bowl game where they lost to UNC. Yeah, yeah. So Duke and UNC. So my first two years, no. My last two years, on paper, probably not. But in performance, maybe. If that makes sense, right? Because like I, I think if you look at the second Rod Carrier on paper, like just the roster. I think that roster probably looks better, but obviously they didn't perform better for mm. a myriad of reasons. You got Jeff's, you got Jeff's last season, and then Rod's first. No, his only all Rod yeah. Carrier's whole tenure, baby. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they are, yeah, they are rebuilding. The rest of the Temple fan base hates you because they're coming off a win now and you're just killing their buzz. But I understand. In, in fairness, and I don't necessarily disagree, but in fairness, you watched their two worst games of the season, right? Well, like, I, I caught – I did watch Leighton Jordan versus Lafayette because I saw 2.5 sacks, and I was like, all right, I got to watch that one. But, like, again, like, I, I'm being a little bit dramatic. They are what I expected them to be. Like, mm-hmm. these are – those are the, – they won the two games that I expected them to win. Yes, exactly. Like uh, – like that press conference, I'm blanking on the coach's name. Dennis uh, Green. Dennis Green. Thank yeah. you, Javon. And we let him off the hook. Well, that's, that's Dennis one. Green. And then we are who we thought they were. Wasn't that? Was that? That was um. No, that's that was Herm, right? Yeah. That's no, Herm. Herm is playoffs. No, Dennis Green. Yeah, Dennis Green did. Um, yeah, Dennis Green is. We thought we are. Yeah, and Jim Moore did playoffs. Wait, yeah, and Jim did, Moore did playoffs. Who did? If you want to crown their ass, crown them. That's the that's the end of the Dennis that's Green. The end, that's the end of the Dennis Green, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And then he, he slaps he slaps the podium and he walks off. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Jim Moore was playoffs, Dante. Yeah, uh, Dante. In a, we wrote, were who wrote "I Have a Dream"? Who was that? <laughs> it's Martin Luther King. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, Dante, in like at some point in our group text a couple of weeks ago, I think you said something to the effect of Leighton Jordan has NFL bend, and you seem to be <laughs> impressed with him. I don't know if I was supposed to put that out there, but what what specifically have you seen from from Leighton Jordan? I mean, you talked about you know, uh, you know two and a half sacks against Lafayette, uh, the the play he made last week. But what what have you seen from him so far? Yeah, I mean, I think when I when I said NFL Ben, right, like that is the ability to to dip your inside shoulder underneath the hands of an offensive tackle and turn a really tight corner to the quarterback. And um, I again, I have not watched a lot of Temple football before last night. So like I was just seeing highlights. So I saw a highlight of a Leighton Jordan sack and I saw somebody turn a corner that I would see an NFL edge turn like guys who are really good turn corners like Leighton Jordan does. Um, the issue is that I discovered that that is his only rush move last night. Uh, and there's not necessarily wrong with that. If you're going to have one trick, that's the best trick to have as an edge rusher is just I'm faster and more athletic than you. And I'm going to get to the quarterback. That's a great trick to have. And he's, he's really good at it. So um, I, I ended up pegging him with like a late, like sixth or seventh round grade probably. And like, I don't really think that that's an insult. Like I think he's an NFL caliber player who can, 
who can bend the edge. I think he's a good athlete. I think you just have to teach him where he's supposed to be when he's dropping back in coverage. He moves fine in space. His awareness is just a little bit shaky. Um, and I don't know how much a fault he is for that. This is kind of a newer position that they're having him play as a true outside linebacker, right? So, you know, how much experience does he truly have dropping into these short flats, covering running backs, different things like that. I don't know that he has a ton there. So if he gets better over the course of the season, that's a huge boon to his draft stock. Um, like, I, I really think that he has the hardest part of being an edge down pat, which is rushing the outside shoulder effectively. He does that great. Everything else, I feel like I can teach. That's, you know, what you're looking for in an NFL edge is, do you have the athleticism? Do you have the burst off the line? Do you have the natural talent to be successful? I think he has all those things. It's just everything else that worries me, which makes it sound like a negative evaluation, but I actually enjoyed watching it. Like I, it was, it was a solid watch. You said everything that I could teach. Are you volunteering to work him out? I would give it a shot. I don't know that I'd be great, but I do love D line play. Like outside of quarterbacks, that's where I spend the most amount of my time mm -hmm. watching. What about EJ Warner? Uh, again, he uh, obviously, you know, people once once people start looking at the name and people outside of the Temple fan base are going to say, "Oh, he's Kurt Warner's kid." Uh, after what two starts, two and two and a half games or so. Uh, I don't know how much you got to see of him, but if so, what do you, what do you think of EJ so far? Yeah, I have to be careful because I, I think it's important to remember that he's a true freshman. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a lot of positives that you see in his game. I think particularly from a, a mental perspective, I think he understands the game very well for a true freshman. Um, you see a lot of those really, really good touch passes that he throws and I, I think that that is a product of his ability to understand the leverage that defenders have and how to throw away from that, uh, which is honestly like something that you see a lot of veteran quarterbacks struggle with, even going to the NFL. Like there are certain veteran quarterbacks who just don't have that natural touch. Um, and it, it takes some time to do, to develop that. And EJ's already got that. So I think his understanding of the game is really impressive. I think he's generally accurate in the short areas of the field. I just, I worry about his long-term prognosis as a starting quarterback because he doesn't really have any tools. And I don't say that to like demean him, um, but he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the arm strength at the college level. I think you get away with that just fine. I think he can be a quality starting quarterback for Temple. I, I really, I, I would not be surprised if he does well for temple and he wins some games when the team gets a little bit better around him and he grows into his body a little bit more. Um, but right now, I mean, I don't see a long-term development track where he's somebody that is legitimately pushing for NFL potential, but people said the same thing about his dad and he ended up being pretty dang good, right? Kurt Warner didn't have a ton of tools when he was in college. And when he was in, he came from Canada, right? The Canadian football league at one point. So like the arena league, right? Arena the arena league. I knew it was one of those uh, leagues, but yeah, I mean, like for me, like, I think, uh, I, I think he's got a really good understanding of the game and I think that's going to do him good. Like, honestly, I think I tweeted this because I saw the highlight that one touch throw that he had going across the field, like uh, toward the left against, I think it was UMass this week was like arguably the best throw I've seen from a temple quarterback since I started really like covering the team. And that's, you know, not that long. That includes, you know, Anthony Russo, Todd Santeo, Jordan Lynch, Dwan Mathis, but it's something like, I, I really think he can be a quality starter for Temple. I'm just not sure about 
after that. But again, he's a true freshman. Trad Beatty, yes, Sam. And Justin right. Lynch, not Jordan. Ju- right, Jordan was NIU. See, I, I've just like completely yeah. lost my temple framework. I've been gone too long. Caden, I know you got you had a dip out in a little bit. You covered the game for the Inquirer this weekend, uh, along with some of the stuff. There are there's some other storylines there. What were your impressions of, of this 28 nothing win over UMass? Kind of going with Dante's take where it's a little more critical, where I thought, you know, the first half was really unimpressive. The fact that they only had seven points at halftime. But I think it's encouraging that EJ, you know, was able to put those mistakes behind him. It really started at the end of that first half with that 34-yard throw to Donica Sanders on the right sideline. You could really see he started to get into it. And then that second half, you know, in the fourth quarter, we caps it off the 50-yard pass that Dante's talking about, the Donica Sanders. I thought you saw some real growth from EJ. Defensively, I thought they, you know, they stood out again. I thought you know, overall, holding UMass to zero points is what they were supposed to do. You're not playing a really good team, but you know, Leighton Jordan making a good play, Kobe Wilson, Yavani Rigby having you know a big game from the linebacker position, Alex Odom having you know nine tackles and an interception, Jalen McMurray uh, you know, having another good game. I think Stan said they were awarded uh, Player of the Week. You know, yeah. So having those guys, you know, step up, I think it's good. To see from the individual perspective, some of these guys are going to be key pieces here long term are starting to put it together, some of these young guys. But overall, for a team effort, I think it was still, you know, a little disappointing that it was only a 28 point game. Mm-hmm. Another storyline here to come out of the game is again, Chris Weezahan, Danny Langsdorf, and, and Stan Drayton, of course, are, are just trying to make the best of, of what they have with this offensive line. Uh, you know, they uh, Adam Klein comes back. Uh, from an undisclosed injury, starts at center instead. James Famine, who stays out at right tackle. So you had Isaac Moore at left tackle, Bryce Bryce Thoman at left guard, who really struggled. Pro football focus people were not kind to Bryce Thoman uh, with his rating. Klein at center, Wisdom Quarshoot right guard, uh, James Famine at right tackle. Uh, Bryce Thoman got beat even on that first uh, touchdown pass, I believe, to Ian Stewart. He got beat there. Uh, asked Sandra Ayton about him you know, this past Monday. And he said, look, he's basically, I'm paraphrasing here, he's hanging in, he'll improve. Um, I, what I'm trying to figure out is, and I think I have this a, a little bit later on, um, it stands in something like uh, they have, had some guys that were, uh, had some guys that were sick who were going to be available this week. I'd be curious to know who he's talking about, if they're seeing progress from, from some other players here. But is that the biggest area of concern Moving forward he, with this program. I, took, I took that as him referring to Richard Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. Could be Rich Rod. That's yeah. what I thought. I thought he was basically yeah. saying, like, look, Rich Rod was sick and then Klein had to move in the center. And that's yeah. What yeah. Yeah. That could have been overlooking that very much. So, um, I mean, I, and I didn't know what, what my expectations were going to be from this line. I can't say that, like, anybody will look at the offensive line and said, okay, that's going to be a real strength for the team. Um, but I, I think that might be the one thing again. I don't, I don't know truly how good these backs are. I think Stan, I think kind of is living in the middle when he says, yeah, our running backs need to run through contact and be better there, but there's improvement on the offensive line, but is the offensive line, like the biggest, the biggest concerning piece moving forward when you guys look, look at this team, any thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, you don't have a football team. If you don't have an offensive line, it's, it's coming in hot. It's that simple. And these guys, they, they can I, – I don't want to sound too critical, but it's it's rough watching them every week. I put in my story for the Inquirer uh, for the preview of the UMass game. It's the last non-conference game of the season. It's the last game for the offensive line to figure things out. I write that piece. It goes up Thursday. Monday – no, 
yesterday, actually, a piece comes out from the Temple News that I wrote that said the O-line actually played worse. Like, it's it's rough for them. I, that, I mean, Klein at center wasn't even the best thing in the world, right? I mean, he warmed himself up, kind of found himself in a rhythm. But poor EJ, like a true freshman who is all of 5'10", a buck 65, if we're being honest, like has to deal with behemoths crushing him constantly like it's not good for his health or like it's a good thing the kid's been trained by his dad for lord knows how long because mentally he could be shaken up by now like he had his first two interceptions of the season last week because he had zero time back there and it's been every time he takes it's been probably 50 percent of the time he takes a snap maybe more than that some big heavy is in his face and it's just <laughs> it's, it, it's tough to watch i feel bad for the kid also, while we were on the topic of coaching grants, Herm Edwards did the you play to win rant since everyone yes, he did. was confused. There we go. He did. I got my rants confused. <laughs> How much of it, let me ask you guys this question. How much of a challenge do you think it's going to be now? You know, when when Matt Rule comes in, and not that he's been the, the only head coach to come in and, and rebuild the Temple football program out. Golden did it, and the other guys had to build some continuity. Um they're going to need some help, and they've—I mean—they've obviously tried looking for help in the transfer portal with with guys like like James Famine and Rich Rodriguez, and so on and so forth. Does it get harder to, to address the offensive line in the portal now because of the way the portal is? I mean, the, the chances of them getting, you know, one of the best players from the FCS level. Every program in America is looking for those guys, right? Does it does does Chris Wiesehan have a harder job now in rebuilding this offensive line that he did, you know, his first his first go around with Matt Rule? Well, I think you can look across the river to Rutgers to see that plugging in the best guy from FCS doesn't always work, right? Yeah. Like just because a guy's a good offensive line player in one scheme doesn't mean he's going to be good elsewhere. I think the yeah. way that you build a good collegiate offensive line is by keeping the same guys in the program and yeah. building them and letting them play. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw it with, with prior to Weezy hand showing up when rule played Deion Dawkins as a true freshman left tackle against Notre Dame, like that hurt them that game and paid dividends for the next three and a half years. So mm-hmm. am I saying that James Ramanu as a 19 year old Brit that's coming over and playing American football for the first time in his life is the next Deion Dawkins? No. Do I think he's going to be better in 2025 than he is in 2022? I'd hope so. Mm-hmm. I'd hope if you aren't progressing as a football player in three years that maybe, you know, you're updating your resume. Like, I'm not sure. I, I think it's more of just, when we talked about the decision to play Adam Klein at center and we kind of, I just kind of said, well, maybe that's because Rich Rodriguez was sick, like Sam was alluding to. It might also be because, Hey, look, Adam Klein has earned the right to play in this system. He's arguably our best offensive lineman, if not our second best offensive lineman and getting James Pham new snaps at right tackle as a freshman is going to help a lot in future years. So mm-hmm. I think it's just keep the guys in the system and hope that Weezahan can coach them up. I don't think the transfer portal all of a sudden becomes that you're looking for five new starters next year or anything like that. Yeah, and they've obviously uh, we've talked about this before. They've obviously addressed it so far with with the 2023 class. Can they have verbal commitments from Luke Watson, uh, Cole Skinner, Eric King, uh, and Kevin Terry? Uh, but again, those guys are going to come in. You know, if, as long as they you know stay committed and sign, those guys are going to come in as true freshmen. And uh, might have to hope that you know, like Kyle said, it's a combination of guys like Bryce Thoman and and James Famine who getting better and maybe one of those guys can contribute as a, as a true freshman or maybe like a Jackson Pruitt gets better, but that, that would seem to me to be the, the, the one 
not the only area of concern, but one where, and we've got a mailbag question about it later, where they're just definitely still trying to figure out that that whole piece of it. On some plays, they look like they're, I mean, the 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 touchdown pass to the 50 yarder to Adonica Sanders was one of the few, the few times I saw where he had, EJ had a really truly clean pocket and a good protection around him. And again, regardless of who he's doing it against, he dropped in a really nice throw there. But uh I don't even think you need to be breaking down film to see some of the you know, um, whether they're missed assignments or people just getting overmatched, um, you know, it's, it's obviously an area of concern. Saw more just of the, add, just add stats that sure. 24 dropbacks, he was pressured on a third of them on the third that he's pressured his mm-hmm. NFL quarterback rating was 39.6. Mm-hmm. When he's not pressured, it's 89. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. rocket science, right? If you keep a pocket cleaner, you're going to have, if your whole thing is that you're like a smart quarterback who can mm-hmm. read defenses and make the right throws, then, Mm-hmm. Time equals money. And adding on to that that offensive line thing, John, I think uh, the the whole Jackson Pruitt experiment. I think that's an look that that's what it is an experiment. That guy's small for an old line, like for an He's old lineman. Shorter. Yeah, it's that's shorter. what I mean. Like height wise, that's a short kid. So I think there's an important thing that I think Dante probably could speak about more than anything is there is a difference between being a good college player. Mm-hmm. And projecting to the next level, I've seen a crap ton of of six foot successful, including including your namesake, Inc- including Kyle's, Kyle's friend Kyle, Kyle friend, friend. <laughs> was arguably the best Temple Center better than Matt Hansley that Temple's had in the last like fifteen years, and he was five ten. So mm-hmm. like you can get past it. Does that mean does that put a ceiling on has, his NFL future earnings? Probably. Has Pruitt been bad? I like his. Played. I like. No, his he hasn't played. Film. I mean, okay. I wasn't sure. I was like, I kind of liked his high school film. I thought. Yeah, he, no, Javon's just saying he's. I'm just saying he's he's shorter, so expectations. That's Mm -hmm. all. I don't mind shorter guys. Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. I think we're talking about the wrong guy. Jackson Pruitt's six five. No, he's Kyle. Listen, I didn't I'm Googling images of the kid right now to make sure who I see walking around campus is Jackson Pruitt. Jackson Pruitt's nobody six five. Okay, so he's six three. There's no scenario where they're listing a five eleven guy at six five. Listen, I can tell you that much. I'll tell you this right now, Kyle. I've I've seen the kid and walk past them side by side. He's got a couple inches of generous height added to him. I don't know six six. Now some now some cleats might help him out. It may give him a generous six two or six three with some cleats. Mm. But yeah, six five, uh, uh-uh, not happening. Mm. What about before we move along to talking about uh, Memphis here? Um, well, actually, before yeah, before we get along to, to Memphis, I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, Finally, and again, I'm not I'm not saying that anybody expected him to, you know, to come in and uh, and be the best tight end in America. But David Martin Robinson comes in, returns a tight end. Uh, maybe the highlight of the day was was getting open, I guess, on that drag route or that crossing route on that fourth down conversion. Again, another thing we haven't mentioned yet is Stan Drayton continues to be aggressive on, on fourth down. And he uh, helped come up with that key fourth down conversion. Um what do you think he gives this offense now? And again, I think we need to be realistic about what Dave Martin Robinson has been in the past. It's not like he's again, one of the best tight ends in America, but it did seem like he helped that offense a little bit on Saturday. He took away an interception from EJ Warner's stat line. Because mm-hmm. when they went for it on a fourth and one and EJ kind of made probably a forced throw to a, a cover David Martin Roberts and he got credit to him. He made the catch and then adds 30 yards after the fact. Mm-hmm. I think he's just the most established safety valve that's probably on this offense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for all that we talked about with Jordan Smith, Jordan Smith has only been playing the position for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, his athleticism stands out of time, but David Martin Robinson's been doing it for four years. So I think it's 
adding another weapon to a team that needs another weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move along to Memphis, we, for Dante talk about EJ Warner, we've been talking about EJ Warner. I asked Stan Drayton on Monday uh, about EJ, the way he's processing this offense and how it doesn't seem to be out on the surface, just like a kind of like a one read and go type of offense and how he goes through his progression. So this is, this is Stan Drayton on Monday talking about what he's seen from EJ Warner so far this season. Whatever we ask him to do for the most part, he's pretty good at it. He's a fast study. Um, obviously, you get into some five-step timing throws. He's going to be a progression reader. And you, you know, when you're on first or second down, you have an opportunity to, to present some run pass options. He, he's really good at delivering the football, and that's the thing we're excited about. He, he is a very decisive football player for the most part. And um, most young quarterbacks, uh, they have to, they don't have their first read. You get them into a Hensy, they start trying to find the second, third read. But this guy works it with a confident demeanor about himself, trusting the protection in front of him. So uh, that is maturity for sure. Uh, he's ahead of ahead of his years for sure. But uh, there's still a lot of things he can grow from and learn from in those, in those situations as well. All right, so let's let's talk about this Memphis team. The Temple's playing Saturday. They're, the Tigers are three and one. They lost 49 to 23 to Mississippi State to open the season. They rattled off three straight wins since then. They beat Navy 37 to 13. They beat Arkansas State 44 to 32. And then North Texas last week 44 to 34. Statistically, defensively, they're not going to blow you away in terms of their overall team totals, but their defense really helped them out last week. They had three takeaways, two interception returns for touchdowns. Jalen Allen had one, Zay Collins had one. Uh, and these guys aren't defensive backs. And on the one on Allen's uh, touchdown, Greg Ruman tipped that pass that helped lead to that touchdown. Um, they've been a bad third down defensive team. Um, they improved last week. They held uh, held North Texas to three of fifteen on third downs, but they allowed three hundred seventy one yards last week. Um, I don't know. I, I see this as as a game that is you know kind of like maybe the the conversation we were having. Uh, about Rutgers. Um, I, I see this as a game where obviously Temple's not going to be favored in this game, but I don't know. I see some flaws in this Memphis team that the that, that Temple could expose here. I feel like Temple and Memphis, well, we know the stats since they've played each other, uh, since they started playing each other in 2013. Neither team has won back-to-back games in the right. series. Temple's up 4-3. Temple won last year, even though we know Temple was not the team that Memphis was last year. And you look at the start Memphis has gotten off to this season. Looks like another year where, hey, Temple could be able to hang in with them. This is one of those series where it's just two teams who always compete against each other. It, you know, you can't really provide too much analysis to it. It's been a coin toss every year. And I think this is going to be the same case this weekend. History says go Memphis, but yeah. Yeah, Vegas says go Memphis, considering they're a 20-point underdog, Temple's mm-hmm. 20-point underdog in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's two programs that do things the polar opposite ways of each other. I think Memphis likes to hang its hat on offense and Temple likes to hang its hat on defense. That being said, this isn't like – like there's no Calvin Austin on this team, right? There's no mm-hmm. Darrell Henderson. There's no Kenny Gainwell on this team. So, like, my general rule of thumb with NFL is just, like, draft Memphis running backs and, like, things will work out. <laughs> there's no there's no player like that on this team. Uh, from what I've seen there. I mean, their quarterback, Seth Hennigan's uh, arguably the best quarterback that Temple will play in a while. And definitely the best to this point, I would say. But he doesn't have the weapons that he had last year. I mean, Eddie Lewis is a Rutgers bounce back at wide receiver who's good, not great. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, their offensive line's pretty bad, and it was pretty bad before um, Austin Myers and Jonah Gamble went down to left tackle, left guard. So if those two aren't ready to go, and now you're playing their backups, then all of a sudden you're dealing with even more of a maybe an advantage of Temple's side. I mean, Hennigan's been um, he's been sacked nine times this year, which is not mm-hmm. ideal uh, for somebody like him. So I I think I think it's like a game that like the fact that it's a twenty point dog is is surprising to me because. Like they don't think they're that far apart, but I think there's like Memphis is definitely the favorite in this game, but their defense bad 100th in scoring defense, 107th in total defense, 118th in third down defense, defense, bad offensive line usually sets itself up for the possibility of an upset. So see. Plus 20 is a lock. What's that? that? Plus Plus 20. 20. That's a lock on a parlay this week. I don't know because I mean, Temple's shown some ability to, if they can't get the running game going, all of a sudden they're going three and outs on some things, then Memphis is the type of team to give them those extra possessions. Also, let's not glance over the fact that like Temple turned the ball over four times against Lafayette. Like, yes. Yeah. Turn the ball four, over four times to get to Memphis. You lose by three scores. That's not unreasonable. Dante, I know you were saying you haven't watched any, you've been focused obviously on NFL film and NFL things now working for the 33rd team. Before that, I mean, you, you saw Seth Hennigan last year. What do you remember? What you thought of him as, like, you know, Stan Drayton? Again, he could have been just engaging in coach speak and and trying to be complimentary to the opponent that he's playing, but he called him the real deal. Did you, when you watched him last year, did you see any traits from him to think, okay, maybe this guy could play at the next level? Do you remember having that type of impression of him? I feel like the the opinions on him vary. I mean, he's been a solid quarterback. He's been very good at times. He was really good against Temple last year. Last week. 19 of 29 for 141 yards, two TDs, two uh, an interception. Again, those the the two injuries that Kyle's referencing, Austin Myers, their left tackle, and and Jonah Gamble. That's his the left side of his line. They're considered day to day. Brian Moss Namowitz, who's part of the the Memphis rival site, the Tiger Sports Report. He, you know, I did their podcast last night. He told me today. He said, if I were a betting man, I'd probably bet that they won't play, but we'll see. He said that that Ryan Silverfield tends to just say that everybody's day to day. So that could be a definite disadvantage for them if he doesn't have them. But do, do you remember what you thought of him last year? Was he on your radar at all as a, as a one of the better quarterbacks in the country? Or do you think people were being a little too praiseworthy with him there when, when he would get that tag? Oh, I definitely do not think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, I do think he's one of the best quarterbacks in this conference uh, for sure. I think that he, he is Memphis has had some quarterbacks who put up a lot of numbers, but I think for my money, like he is very much like a safer option than some of those guys. Right. Cause like Brady white would put up a ton of numbers, but he'd also throw like five passes a game that were like, buddy, you know, like, what are you looking at? And like, typically um, Hannigan doesn't have those. He's not quite as explosive. I don't think they generate as much big plays, but he also limits you on the turnover side. Like, I just think that he is a good college quarterback. Like that, that, that was my impression of him. Now I have not sat down and watched more than his start against temple last year. Um, so maybe he got a lot better this year. Maybe there's stuff on film this year that I haven't seen. I, I have no idea. I've not watched a single snap of Memphis football this year. My impression of him against temple last year was good college quarterback. I think he gives you a little bit more uh, cerebral ability than somebody like Brady white, but I think he leaves a little bit to be desired as far as creating outside the pocket, pushing the ball down the field. So I think it's kind of pick your poison there for Memphis quarterbacks, but um, this will be the last thing I say before I hop out. Like, I think 
Kyle was right in his assumption that like, this is not the Memphis team of old. Like I've just sit here reading the roster and kind of reading some stats as you guys were talking just to, so I could say something of substance here. Um, not a ton of like really big playmakers and names here. I, I mean, I think that Temple can cover that 20 point spread. I really think they can, but to Javon's point as well, probably not the best matchup. Memphis's offense is going to test your communication on defense. And I do not think Temple's communications on defense is even remotely good right now. Um, and Memphis's high speed spread horizontal attack is going to really, really test that. Um, don't love that matchup for Temple, but we'll see. If there's anything that Kyle loves more than 7-Eleven burritos and, oh. and, and, and Wawa lobster, lobster biscuits being told that Kyle was right. If you guys could see the video of Kyle, as soon as Dante said that, Kyle put his hands up in the air like a, like a third grader would score his first like touchdown or won like a three-legged race at a field bay. He just looked so jubilant. It was pure. I used to crush three-legged races. Those are all about communications. One, two, one, two. Real quick, <laughs> it's a completely different offensive coordinator is an important thing to call, call kind of call out with this. So, like... I and it's not one of Kevin Johns' disciples either. Right. So, I don't think Memphis... Like, Memphis just is not as explosive and I think as horizontal this year as they have been in the past. Well, there you go. I didn't know that. It was great hopping on with you guys, though. I got to go. Love you, Dante. Love you, buddy. Thank you week. for... Thank you for uh, thank you for hopping on, uh, Kyle Javon. Let's get to some some predictions here. Javon, go ahead. <sighs> I, I don't like betting against history. You guys know I'm a boomer at heart. Uh, history <laughs> history says take Memphis. Um, I think I'll go thirty to twenty two just because thirty to twenty two. What's interesting to me is a temple. I, I was kind of going back to last year's game because all I really remember is was like is the questionable was it a fumble or was it a complete pass call from the tight end? Um, Wait, that was temple, last, no, that was that wasn't last year. Was that? I mean, it couldn't have been the year before. Was it three years ago? I believe that was three years ago. Was it? There was, no, there was definitely a questionable call last year. The call. I thought it was they couldn't get the replay on the tight end about whether or not he put the ball on the ground. No, that, that might have been Magnifico, like Joey Magnifico. That was that was three years ago. I thought that was not last year, right? That was not three years ago, was it? Well, it was too well, and it couldn't have been twenty twenty because I was in Memphis. No, it was in Philly, right? That's what I'm saying. Last year they played in Memphis. Regardless, that was in twenty nine. The Joey Magnifico, the Joey Magnifico call was twenty nineteen. That happened was not last, last year. year. What happened last year then? There's definitely a questionable thing in like the fourth quarter last year. doesn't uh, matter. My takeaway was that Temple actually ran the ball a little better than I remember. Like they right. were able to get like their buck 50, buck 60, buck 70 or whatever off of on the ground. I don't think by any stretch of imagination Temple's winning this game. I, like I said in the past, I don't think that this is that big of a difference, but I think going on the road, young team, I think Temple might be able to get the ball going a little bit on the ground against this defense, but I still think that Memphis wins this like 31 to 20. Yeah, I think this is like a 35-21 game. I agree with Dante. I think that Temple can cover the spread here. Again, Memphis is just a little bit of a weird team to, to figure out. Um, I, I think that I'm a little bit more, uh, slightly more encouraged than Dante is in terms of, of course, then Dante said he's about, the, the, he said that Temple's about where he thought they would be right now. I do think that they are making some tangible progress, but yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a game they're, they're ready to win yet. But again, this is not an unbeatable Memphis team. I think this one lands somewhere around 
35, 21, 35, 24. I'll say this. I, uh, I watched the Ryan Silverfield press conference today. And one of the questions I don't want to put, you know, blasts any certain reporter also, because I don't know their names. They asked like, are you already scoreboard watching? Cause you want to see what their teams are doing as you compete for a conference championship. Oof. I don't think Memphis, I don't think Memphis is anywhere close to a conference. No. Championship yeah. That's like anywhere close. I think like last year, like they went six and six last year and I think they might go six and six, seven and five this year. I don't yeah. think anyone's a lock for AAC it, champion. this no, year. No, it's, it's the weirdest conference year in a while. Like everybody's mm-hmm. already lost a game, which last yeah. year is usually like, usually you're in the past. Like it's, is it UCF or is it Cincinnati? It's going to be nine and oh, and then they're finally going to face each other. Everybody's already something mm-hmm. in one. So yeah. Wide open. Yeah. Before we get to the mailbag here, Javon, I wanted to kind of pause a little bit and, and have you talk a little bit about uh, your conversation with Kafik Myers. So if you're an Alscoop.com subscriber, you had the chance to check out uh, Javon's recruiting piece on the Newman Gretti guard, point guard. I guess they got a couple point guards between him and Robert Wright. They've got a really good team. Uh, he came in for an official visit last week. And again, I don't want to give away all the content there, but Javon, if you could give people just a, just a quick scan and a quick summary of what you guys talked about and your, just your general impressions of his game and his recruitment so far. Yeah. Not the first time I've talked to Kafik. I love the kid. I think he's got some dog in him. Uh, he's got a plus four, plus five wingspan, takes pride on defense, your traditional throwback point guard. He's got this South Philly floater. Um, not to be confused with the Southwest Philly floater, which which picks up a little bit of speed from the airport. So that's <laughs> on it. So. Which last I heard, it was making money in Reykjavik. Yes. And um, shout out to Tyrone Garland. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. To add on, Ron to laughed. It. Kyle didn't laugh. Uh, to add on to it, um, no, that, that was a good one. Picks up some steam in the airport. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, also, uh, his assistant coach John Brennan. Calls him big game Myers, and it's definitely for a reason. He he shows up in big moments for his team. Uh, he told me in particular. Uh, so this is for anyone who wants to get out and watch some Philly high school hoops. When Newman, when Newman Garati plays West Catholic this year, West Catholic coached by a friend of the show, Miguel Boca Chica. Um, get out there and watch it. He says he's got something for them. This is actually the first time in his career that he's been able to play West Catholic. Mm-hmm. So when they see each other, he's like. Zion Stanford, good for him committing to Temple. Temple's obviously on Kafik's list, but he's got something for the birds this year. So get out and see that game. It's a man animosity yeah. between two likely-ish future teammates. Like I, th- I don't think we're like giving I think Kafik Myers, if Temple if he had to make a decision right now, it would be probably Temple. I think so. Um I wouldn't say any animosities, just normal competitive nature. Like I yeah. play in the Catholic League and I haven't played these guys yet. I got something for them. Javon, is his height a a concern. No, because I don't think he's done growing. Okay. Like, so his growth, his, would you say his, his growth, growth plates, plates are, are still open? <laughs> yes. He's, he's five ten, buck 55, buck 60, but he's got, like I said, he's got a plus four plus five wingspan, which tells me he's got another two inches of growth on him. And he's going to spend these next two years in the weight room from what he's told me. Um, so I don't think his size is a problem at all. Okay. So if he had, from Dr. Edmonds. If he ends up coming to the temple and that all of a sudden becomes a situation where people that were clamoring for homegrown talent, well, now you just got three straight classes of Catholic League guys. So mm-hmm. here it is. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the mailbag here. We got a, a few questions, uh, three or four to get to. First one, again, these are screen names from the alscoop.com message boards. First one here comes from the, the screen name, Matt Deeves. Question is, any thoughts on 
what the constant shuffling of, of the offensive line is accomplishing. Maybe Adam Klein was their best option at center this week, but the snaps were off all game. Yes. I mean, I think Adam Klein would admit that he had a couple of low snaps. Uh, I don't think they're trying to, I think the only thing they're trying to accomplish with the constant shuffling is just tr- simply trying to find a, a combination that works as they try to grow together. I don't know that it's any, I don't, I don't think it's that level. Than that. I don't think it's that level. I think for the most part, it's they're just trying to find five healthy guys out there. Yeah. Like I think, yeah. I think for the most part, the decisions have been made based upon injury or health. Related. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in an ideal world, if you could, put, if you could ask Chris Weasley coming to season, he's like, I would have loved to have the 12 exact same combinations the entire season. Mm-hmm. College football, unfortunately, does not work that way. Yeah. I mean, the one thing he's had, look, after four games to be two and two, not such terrible shape for them to be in considering the, the talent that they inherited, the, the, the type of program that they inherited. And they've had the ability to, for the most part, play the same five guys through most games. But yeah, I'd say that right now they're, I think they're just like, like Kyle said, they're looking for five healthy guys and the five best guys, but they're clearly not done trying to figure that out. Um, Next question here from SoCal Al is a screen name. This is a basketball related question, non-Temple slash AAC question. So this is about the, the decision from the NCAA about Memphis and Penny Hardaway. Please decipher what NCAA sanctions on Memphis, uh, what the implications are, are more to follow. What is the NCAA, what the NCAA does constantly befuddles me, help. Means literally nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it doesn't it's, mean a damn thing. No. Uh-uh. They got fined five grand and they had to vacate a non-conference win that James Wiseman played in. Yeah, I think it's yeah. only three wins in total yeah. that Penny's losing yeah. off his record. It, it's nothing, literally. Yeah, yeah. So they got off. They they came out of this pretty much unscathed, you know. And uh, so I don't know what what the NCAA does constantly befuddles me. I, I don't know what I don't know if the NCAA really befuddles me. They're consistently inconsistent, but they're you know. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think it's just, it's 2022 NCAA that's just trying to hang on to still hang being on. an entity. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, still, it's just still trying to stay relevant, right? So, yeah. Every now and then you'll see crap like this come out, and they hope that uh, Alabama just doesn't decide one day that it wants to go play in the Alabama Football League and move on from there. So, yeah. I wouldn't worry too much one way or the other about. Yeah. This. Next question here comes from the screen name GLMPA. With the loss of programs like Houston and Cincinnati next season, will there be a concerted effort to bring in some top-ranked programs to help our strength of schedule? That was a basketball question. Um, hold on. So is that uh, is he asking he or she? Excuse me, asking this is, is this a scheduling thing? Like yeah, scheduling. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah, that's college basketball. Aaron McKee knows college. I'm pretty sure. I, Maybe. Uh, listen, we've seen them put Vanderbilt on the schedule. Oh, it's like they put some SEC schools on the schedule. They played in some classics that's got decent. Yeah, no, I think this year they did a good job of doing that. Yeah, I think the past couple years were kind of like, let's just look. We're a young team. Let's just play. Let's just try yeah. to get some of the blood flowing and hopefully get some easy wins against. Actually, are they playing UMBC again this year? I think so. Right. Or UMES. Are they playing UMES again this year? I think so. Huh. I think I think it's their bye game one of them. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, like I think they're adjusting to like, now they have a team that they want to keep this thing going. They're not in a four year rebuild anymore. Like they're towards the end that you're going to keep seeing them try to schedule those out of conference games. Well, yeah, they're, they're going to yeah, have, they to. need to, we've talked about before, you know, when we talk about, when we try to have some fun with the, the whole 
John Rothstein, should Temple go back to the A-10, you know, rehashing that. But yeah, they're, they're going to have to because we don't know what's going to happen in conference realignment. You can't just, you know, if you're a Temple fan, you just can't. You can't just hope that they end up in a, in a bigger conference just because. And if they end up in a watered down uh, American for basketball, yeah, you're going to have to try to be like we've said in the past. You're going to have to try to be like Gonzaga. I'm not saying they're going to go from zero to sixty and and end up in a in a national championship game in the span of a year. But yeah, you're absolutely going to have to beef up your non conference schedule. And we do know that the American. Go ahead, Kyle. In fairness, like Wichita State, Memphis, and SMU are are not like it's not Gonzaga and St. Mary's out there. Right. There's still right. Some- yeah. There's some. You know. Yeah. And you, we'll have to see what happens in the future. But yeah, I. They're going to have to. Um, last question to, to round things out here. I, I thought there might be one more. I'll double check from Green Street Al. Squint hard at the Temple football schedule. And based on who looks better, or worse, the same as expected, squeeze four more wins out of our schedule in a bowl berth. Uh, I t- maybe. Hold on, so who would be the four wins? Who would the four, the yeah, he's asking who would the four wins be? I, I mean, Tulsa, <laughs> Navy, and USF. Or no, one no. And USF well, has no schedule this year. Yeah, or are they? Yeah, they are. USF yeah. is. USF's yeah, it, at home. Yeah. Or East okay. U. I mean, I, I don't uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're an optimist, which I don't think this is going to happen, I think you play. You hope that they play Memphis well and you and you leave it being like, okay, they can kind of go toe-toe from this. Javon, isn't the, is next Thursday uh, or two Thursdays from now your birthday? The UCF game? Yes, yeah. yes, it so is. They're going to get clobbered in that. Yes. So you get to that point, you're two and four. Then you have the way if there is a soft underbelly to the schedule, it's those next three games. You get Tulsa at home. I'm just assuming that guys from Tulsa, Oklahoma have never played football like in Philadelphia, and there's an opportunity there for a not bad, a not very good team to come to Philadelphia and lose. Navy on the road. Navy's not great this year, even though they did beat ECU. Um, and then South Florida at home, Florida teams traditionally don't play well at Temple in November. So but then they've got talk about the two games after that. So that's the problem. So at that point, if everything goes right, which again, I don't think it will. If all of a sudden, then you're five and four. You lose those next two games. Houston and Cincinnati, you lose them, you're five and six. And then you're hoping against hope that a Thanksgiving-ish game against ECU at home that you can somehow squeak out a win. You're hoping your your confidence isn't too deflated by the way Houston and Cincinnati it's also mopped just the floor like, with It's you. so strange. Like, college football at the end of the year, like, I think ECU is pretty good this year, or at least better. But, like, let's say things don't go well and they're four and seven going into that game and they have nothing to play for. Like, not, that's not that's not point. unreasonable that Temple could then like look squeak one out, yeah. get to six and six and figure it out. Like college football is a combination at the end of the season, it's a combination of like, do these teams still have something to play for? And if they don't, is the coaching staff able to keep them like focused? They still have something to play for. You saw yeah. in 2013, Temple goes down to Memphis one in ten. They had literally nothing to play for, mm-hmm. but rule kind of kept them together and they go out and they they steamroll Memphis and they have momentum going to 2014 and everything's great. Yeah. Uh so if you're thinking, is there a way to get to six and six? That's probably it. If, if they beat Memphis on Saturday going to the bye, then it helps a lot. Yeah. Then yeah. like, okay, like let, let's rock and roll. Let's see what you can do. But there are some stretches where it's like, Oh boy. Yeah. Key takeaways from this is the temple could be bowl bound and Javon's birthday is coming up. So listeners think of when they announced the schedule, Javon birthday. was like, Oh, UCF gave him a birthday. I was like, oh, what a terrible gift for you. Buddy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to follow up with that until you said it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what a terrible gift. Um, oh, the bounce house on Javon's birthday. <laughs> no, that's that's the name of the U- of UCF stadium. 
I thought I thought like, not not like your words. It was like a family party where they have a bounce house for Javon, and he's like, God, he's like, God, come on in, get in the bounce house, don't be afraid. No, it was just a good play on words. <laughs> well, uh, thank you to uh, Dante for hopping on, and and Sam for for just really more more than anything, just hopping into to listen. And uh, thank you to all of you for for listening once again. And we hey, will don't forget, Caden, Caden. Kaden. He stopped in for his 30 minutes he did, before he did, the play. He did stop yeah. in. He did stop yeah. in. Well, uh, thank you all for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.